Well, good morning to you and a blessed Easter to each and every one. This is a great day. This is a day when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a precious time. So many promises have been so fulfilled by him with this one very act. And so we owe a debt of gratitude to the Lord and we praise him. You know, over the last several months, hardly a day goes by that the local media doesn't report something involving the loss of precious lives. Images of loved ones waiting anxiously in conference rooms or standing on the side of the sea, uh, waiting word for the fate of family members and loved ones fill our screens. It should be noted that these are only the stories that make the news. These are not all the stories because there are many, many others who leave life on here on earth. Death has touched and will touch all of us some way, some time. And so it occupies our minds. It is a concern for us. Many of this, many, during these times, we know that death seems to have a chilling effect on all of us, doesn't it? It's not something we'd like to talk about. I know that in our household, when my mother used to, we used to have situations where people have passed and my Mother would quickly say in Cantonese, Mogong, Mogong, don't talk about it. It's almost like if you don't talk about it, it doesn't exist, you know? And so we were so fearful of death, that's what we would say. But during these times when people do live, do lose loved ones, when loved ones pass, we know that there are a lot of heartaches and hardships. We do know that there are sorrows and there is sadness. We do know that there are questions and concerns. We do know that there are also doubts and fears that come upon us. Why is this? Why is it that death seems to have this hold on us, as it were? So much so that we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to deal with it. We do not want to face it. We do not want to accept it. A lot of this can be traced back to man's basic fear of death. Basic fear of death. So we ask ourselves all kinds of questions, such as, what lies on the other side of life's door? And because we don't know for sure, then what happens is that it causes us to fear even more. So what if there was a way for us to no longer be afraid of death? Would your life be different? My life would be different. I think all of our lives would be different. Would knowing how to not be afraid of death, is that worth your attention? I think so. I think it would interest me if I could stop fearing death. This is what makes Easter so special as we recount the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a story of of fulfilled promises. It is a story of hope. It is a story that most importantly gives relief for the fear, from the fear of death. How does this all happen? Well, let's look. If you turn to, in your Bibles to Revelations chapter 1, verses 17 to 18, we're going to start our study at that time, at that point. Now, just a word about the book of Revelation. The messages in the book of Revelation were recorded by John the Apostle. He's the same apostle who wrote the Gospel of John. He's in his sunset years, and he has been exiled to an island called Patmos. 
It's a rather barren place. It's just kind of like a dot in the ocean, as it were. Not very scenic, not particularly, you know, noteworthy. But here he is by himself uh, and a few other folks on this island. And his sojourn on earth is fast coming to an end. And soon he will be promoted in the presence of the, his beloved Lord Jesus Christ. But until then, he has to satisfy himself by being comforted by the words and promises of Jesus. He has a vision, chapter 1. He has a vision, and in it the Lord says to him, if you look at Revelations chapter 1, verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. So the Lord comes to him and encourages him with these three, three truths that we are going to study this morning. Now, if you think, for example, that oh, this is just an experience of one man, I mean, how can any of us identify with that? Well, probably all of us have faced or will face fear sometime in our lives. It may not be about death. It may be about something else, your loss of your job, perhaps the illness, the loss of your health or something like that. In fact, the polls tell us that there are unprecedented numbers of people who are afraid of many things. Some people are afraid of the rapidly changing climate. They just don't want Singapore to get any hotter. <laughs> you know, I don't want it to get any hotter. Do you? But people are very concerned about that. People in this world are concerned about the way, about, afraid of the health and the future. But probably the greatest fear that people have is the fear of death, the fear of death. And this is why the Words of our Lord to the Apostle John back then mean so much to us today. Notice his words in there. Do not be afraid. Another more literal translation would be stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. So this morning, through the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God is saying to you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of death. Don't be afraid of life. And so this is the message that will be coming at us. But the, still, that begs the question, why should I not be afraid? Why should I not be afraid? Well, the first reason is found in verse 17. And here, Jesus Christ says he is God. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus boldly proclaims and remind us, reminds us that he is God. This is what he does when he says, I am the first and the last. Now, you might say, he didn't say he was God. He just said, I'm the first and I'm the, and the last. But you see, that particular title, that phrase was used of God. For example, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, we read these words. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. So when Jesus Christ proclaims this, he is saying, I'm God. I am God. Remember, remember, remember that title of me in the Old Testament? That's who I am. I am God. 
This is the same claim that he also made in the New Testament in various places as he preached. It's not a new concept, but it is one that is a familiar one. For example, in John chapter 1, verse 1, and part of John chapter 10, verse 30, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was uh, was with God, and the Word was God, it says. And then in chapter 10, verse 30, it says, I and the Father are one. So make no mistake, Jesus starts right off from the very beginning. He says, I am God. But what is he saying? What's the meaning behind this? The meaning is that there is no other person or power greater than I. Wow. This is God I'm talking. I'm I'm, I'm getting ready to hear from God. And God's going to say something very important to me. It's almost as if, it's almost like as if Jesus is saying to John, make no mistake, John, I am God. I am your creator, protector, provider, and redeemer. Stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. It's almost like he says, trust me, I have your back. I got you covered. Don't worry. Do not be afraid. As God, Jesus makes promises, and he demonstrated that he has the power to fulfill them as evidenced by the resurrection. Now, it is good that we be reminded of the person of God. You know? Why? Because humanity, very frankly, is drunk with its own greatness. And it is blinded to the greater greatness of God. Hence, we see no need for him to be in our lives, let alone making him the Lord of our lives. You see? And so when we go about life and we meet many, many people, maybe even people that are very close to us, and they have no consciousness of God. God? God who? How can he help me? That's what I want to know, you know? but they forget that he is God Almighty. It is good for us to be reminded anew and afresh of what is recorded in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Somehow we have lost the specialness of God. It's God spelt with a little G. We have stopped appreciating and adoring and worshiping God Almighty. But that's how he starts off. He says, I am God. Only until we finally acknowledge who we are and who God is, and until we live life in, with, and for him, will our fears about life and death begin to dissipate? That's where it all starts, folks. Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of life? Are you afraid of this and that and the other? Then it all starts with understanding who God is. That's where everything begins. And that's where he began when he appeared to the Apostle John. The Lord was assuring the Apostle John by reminding him that he is God. But, you know, there's something else, he says. Do not be afraid. Why? He says, Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus boldly proclaims and reminds John that he is alive. If you look back in the verse 18, the first part, and it says, And the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. He was dead. 
he was alive. He is eminently qualified to speak on both things, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> How many of us could say, I've experienced death, you know? Not many of us. If we did, we'd probably write a book. It'd be a bestseller, right? We haven't expressed that. But Jesus did. He was dead, and then he became alive. And he's so, so he's telling us about that. But you might say very quickly that others have died and come back before, even in the Bible, Right? For example, some of you would remember Jairus' daughter. Some of you would remember the widow's son at Nain. Some of you remember the most famous of all, who? Lazarus. Of course you would remember. But remember also that they were resurrected only to die again. You see, they're not here with us on the face of the earth now because they died again. But Jesus is different because he is alive forevermore. Now, for just a moment, let's think about this. Let's think about this. He had a remarkable death. He had a remarkable death. I'm not going to repeat everything because the songs and the worship and Good Friday service did all of that. But just a few pointers. It's not so much the way that Christ died by crucifixion. Okay? Now, I know that might be shocking to some of you. But guess what? The Romans had you crucifixion for quite a while. There were other people who were crucified. In fact, how many were there that were crucified with Christ? Two other people. So the way that he died was not particularly extraordinary in that way. But what was really ordinary is, is, that, is what was behind it. Did you know that his death was voluntary? Did you know it was voluntary? John chapter 10 tells us then. John chapter 10, verse 18. John chapter 10, verse 18. No one has taken it away from me, speaking of his life, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. It was voluntary. It was voluntary. It would take an extraordinary reason and an extraordinary person to want to say, I would be willing to die for somebody. That was the essence of this, was that Jesus' death was voluntary. What else was remarkable about his death? It was an innocent person dying for the guilty. Oh, boy, that is another uh, case to be noted. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, It says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. (laughs) He made someone totally innocent to suffer as if he were guilty. Wow. It's even more clear in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 18, in which it says this. In 3.18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Wow, this was some kind of death. Think about it. Someone who stepped forward and voluntarily died. Someone who was totally innocent, being ready to die and be, as if it were, a guilty person. That made it special. That made it special. 
He was the, and also, the last thing is that he was the sin sacrifice acceptable to God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a big word, meaning the atoning sacrifice, the acceptable sacrifice for sin. So this, all of this, all of this, Goes it, it goes with the crucifixion, and it adds meaning, and it adds significance. It makes it truly a remarkable death. But I would dare say to you that as remarkable as the death of Christ was, a more re- he lived a more remarkable resurrected life. He lived a more remarkable resurrected life. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you look in Scripture, you'll find... Many things happened after he was crucified. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 6. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Amazing. The remarkableness is that he came out and he displayed himself before the people. Isn't that amazing? amazing? This puts to rest the people who say, well, it was just a made-up story. It was just something that was that was made up in the imaginations of the disciples because they so much wanted to believe that he was resurrected. But he came out and he appeared before masses of people. He appeared before many witnesses. Also, he lived a remarkable resurrected life because he makes this astonishing claim in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 19. Because I live, you will live also. (laughs) Wow, how many people can make that claim? He says, look at me. Look at me. I am walking. I am breathing. I am pulsating. I am eating. I am a a full-fledged living being. Because I live, you will live also, he said. This is remarkable. This is remarkable. Now, we shouldn't rush past the fact that Christ is alive today too quickly, okay? We, we often do that, don't we? How many, you know, many of us do this, right? We read a passage, we see something, oh, yeah, okay, then we move right on, right? But we should not move past this idea that Jesus Christ is alive too quickly. Since he is alive, we progress from the finished work, meaning his dying on the cross for our sins, to the unfinished work of Christ, that which involves walking with us through our daily lives, from the completed work to the continuous work of Christ. The only way that Christ can do the continuous work is he has to be alive. If he were dead, then everything is a finished work, right? But this is not true. There is the unfinished work, such as in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, we find that The unfinished work involves him being our high priest, being our high priest. And so in 
Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Look at the 16. Therefore, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't know how you feel, but I'm sure glad that Jesus Christ is in my corner. I am so glad that Jesus Christ is interceding for me, and he is there, and we can go to him for help. But also, in 1 John chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Advocate is almost like having your own lawyer. It's almost like having your own F. Lee Bailey. It's almost like having your own Perry Mason and any other famous lawyer that you can think of. And so as God is the judge and we is the, the defendant, and what happens is he, the, the, the Satan is the prosecutor, and he comes and he says, you sinned, you sinned, you sinned. Jesus Christ stands up and says, for the defense, your honor, I am here to say that that price has already been paid, that punishment has been made. He is our advocate, it says. And it's all possible because Jesus Christ is alive today, that he is alive today. And so you say to yourself, what's the big deal that Jesus is alive? It is a big deal because we have a high priest and we have an advocate working on our behalf. It's a big deal because because Christ lives. He was with us yesterday. He is with us today. And he will be with us tomorrow. Boy, no wonder, no wonder Jesus Christ could lay his hand on on the Apostle John and say, stop being afraid. I am alive. He's alive for you and me today. But he gives one more reason, and this one is probably the most shocking of all. And this is found in the latter half of verse 18. And if you go to that, it says this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. I have the keys of death and Hades. Now, the key word there is keys. What do keys symbolize? What are they a metaphor for? They are a metaphor for power and authority. They are a metaphor for power and authority. The one who holds the keys holds the power and the authority, you see? And he says, I have the keys over death. He is saying, I am master over death. This is truth is repeated for us again by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, verse 8 to 9, listen to these words. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. 
if there is any reason we ought not to be afraid of death, it's because we know the one who has defeated death. Not only just defeated death, he dominates it. He dominates it. Death has no hold over him. In other words, we know what lies on the other side of, uh, of this life. We can trust Christ who has defeated death. If you look at John chapter 5, verse 24, John chapter 5, verse 24, we, we find this precious truth. John chapter 5, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but what? But has passed out of death into life. Into life. This is a precious, precious promise. If we have Christ as our personal Savior, then we will be with him. That is why, as I participate in different wakes and funerals, we can, const- we can confidently assure people with this great promise from the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, Therefore, always being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And all that comes because why? Because Christ has conquered death. Because Christ has, is master over death. This is why we can speak like this. But, you know, what does this all mean to some of us? Well, this is what it means to you and to me. If Christ rules over death, and he certainly does, then we do not need to fear death. We don't. Because the guy who conquered it is on our side, and we are aligned with him. If Christ is God, and he certainly is, If Christ is alive, and he certainly is, and he will come and dwell in us when we accept Christ as our Savior, and he certainly does, then we should not fear the issues of life. So what do you have if you put this all together? In our risen, resurrected Lord, we find the cure for fear of death and life. Did you get that? Did you get that? In our risen Lord, we have conquered our fear of death and life in one fell swoop. Jesus said this in John chapter 11, verse 25 to 26. This is a very penetrating uh, passage. John chapter 11, verse 25, he says this. We're talking about what does this all mean to you? Look at John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, this is one of his interactions, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He says to her, he caps this all off, and he says, do you believe this? Do you believe? You see, if you dare to believe this, 
If you dared to believe that eternal life and forgiveness of sins rests in Jesus Christ, your life will be different because you no longer fear death or life. You can face both of them, whatever it may bring. So the question is, have you, will you, have you done this? Have you done this? Wait no longer and no longer be scared, no longer be afraid. Pastor George W. Truett was the longtime pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas. Now, that doesn't really mean anything to you because it was a century ago, all right? But he was quite an individual, quite an evangelist. And he said this about finding Christ. And it speaks so close to our heart. He says, I found him whom my soul loveth, Jesus who died on the cross and was buried in the tomb and who came there for victory over death and sin and the grave. My hope, my righteousness, my redeemer, My Lord, my God, I trust him. I cling to him. And he alone is my hope forever. Says the same thing. Is he yours? Is he yours? Don't let this opportunity to to make Jesus Christ your savior slip away as it has perhaps so many times before. You can leave here never again to be afraid of death. That key is in Jesus Christ. That key is Jesus Christ. He is God. He is alive. He has the authority over death. Don't be afraid. Father in heaven, we are humbled. We are dumbfounded. Because why? Because you have answered in one fell swoop and you have addressed one of our greatest fears in life. That is the fear of death. That is the fear of life. But Father, because you are resurrected, we no longer fear death and we not, do not have to fear life as well. Oh, Father, thank you so much the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, this morning, if it be in your will that you would kindly and, Father, lovingly beckon unto the one who does not know you as their personal Savior. And, Father, bring them close to you. And, Father, may they embrace you as the one who died on the cross and rose again from the grave for them. For them to deliver us from our fears. Father, we thank you again for your Son, Jesus Christ, and for this day, for Easter, and for the message of hope it brings. In Jesus' name, amen.